This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com. Here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis, and I appreciate you listening in. And um, I can't wait to share with you our guest today, uh, Christopher Browning, who is a business and confidence coach for men, but he also works with women, obviously. He's also a marketing strategist, and he helps small businesses uh, position themselves to become a premium product or, or their product to become a premium product through overcoming perfectionism and finding strength in their business and in themselves. So this is going to be pretty deep today um, because it is about adjusting your mindset again. And as you've heard from me several times, it's about taking action, right? And so I really want Christopher to be able to share with us today how some tips and techniques that we could use to overcome and realize why we are so enthralled with having it perfect before we go out uh, to the big bad world and sell and pitch and meet with our clients. So, Christopher, welcome to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm so happy to have you on our show. It's a pleasure to be here. It absolutely is. Thank you. Thank you. So, as we've been talking, you know, before we went, um, you know, to the full recording, um, learning, you know, more about each other, I'm really very interested in how you got to the point that you are now that, that you chose in your life to be a business and confidence coach for men and for small businesses. I really want to hear about the men portion too, but um, about the small businesses as well. Okay. So I'll probably surprise you because I know we didn't go this, over this in the, uh, you know, the pre-recording. So here's a really, really quick story. I'll tell you really quickly. Um, yeah. I, uh, I went through college. I was a, a computer programmer. I did that for a while. And there's always this yearning inside of me to do something more, to own my own business, um, and to really give back to the world. And while I was very successful at um, computer programming, um, I, I just wanted something more. So I actually went into uh, real estate investing, and then I did a couple other things, went and got, back, got my MBA, and uh, all odd things. So here's a little secret. Actually, I was a pastor for a while. And at this moment, there was like this, this huge, just, I was engaged, and there's this moment where like everything crashed down on me. And I got very, very depressed. Um, well, I could tell you the whole sob story, but let's just say lots of bad stuff happened. And I got to this point in life when I just looked at it and I said, gosh, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can really do in life. Um, everything I seem to touch seems to break and it seems to crumble. And um, I got to the point where I could work only about one hour a day. That was it. But the interesting thing was is that um, I always had ability to really help people through um, their own problems and their own stuff. People could come talk to me. And, but the problem was is that I only had one hour, and I said either I can talk to you or I could literally fold my clothes. That's it. That's all the energy I have for the day. So I, I started doing this trade deal. I said, if you want to come talk to me, I'll listen to you and I'll give you my best advice. But after we're done, I have to 
go to sleep. If you're willing to like maybe cook me some food or like fold some clothes or do some work that I would normally do, I'd be happy to do it. And a lot of people are like, yes, 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 yes. I'd be happy to do that. And so word spread. And that's essentially how coaching started. But I want you to look at it a little bit differently. Don't think of it as like it's coaching. It was more of I understood one thing that I could do very well that was very valuable to somebody else. And I was able to do it in a certain way that it was worth somebody giving up their an hour, two hours, or three hours of their time. And so what I found through this whole process of what I went through is actually everybody has something. And everybody, even at their own particular field, so even like mortgage lending, is that there's a certain way that you do something that is very valuable to a select some a select number of people that they're willing to give you their time and their attention or really their money over somebody else. And that's really the secret to life is just figuring out what are those things that we happen to be individually very good at and we can leverage on a high level that people are going to give us either time or money or something else. So that's kind of the quick story. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I, um, you know, I love that you're, um, being very uh, real and sharing, you know, some of the circumstances that happen in your life. And I think most of us have some type of circumstance that's happened that has put us in those positions, you know, where we, where we have to uh, reset, uh, redirect, and uh, figure out, you know, how we're going to be able to pledge for, you know, uh, going forward. And so I appreciate your, um, your openness in, being in, in explaining and sharing that with us. So that brings me then to uh, let's talk about the um, the perfectionism before we get to the commodity portion of it. But let's talk about yeah. the perfectionism and your thoughts around um, how to overcome perfection, how to, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, identifying uh, why am I not going out, what are some of the reasons that I'm not taking action and uh, you know, how we can identify that and overcome it and then be able to take action. So could you share with us some of the, the common examples of perfectionism that people... Sure. Absolutely. There's, in my experience, there's basically two types of perfectionism. There's a type of perfectionism that, that doesn't make you take any action at all, and there's a type of perfectionism that uh, makes you overextend, and this is really called, like, egotism. Um, and I think the one that you and I talked about a lot beforehand is the, the type of protectionism where you don't take any action at all. You know, what's it that I'm, I'm stopping and I'm not really taking what I know I'm supposed to be doing. And that just really just comes down to a fear of, of judgment or of not being enough or afraid that if I don't do something correctly that I'm going to lose the client or mm-hmm. I'm going to be seen as an idiot. Um, you know, all these thoughts that we have inside our head and, and for the most part, it, it's just, it's not true. Or I've got to like, I don't know. It means perfectionism goes so weird. It's like, did I do the document right? You know, did I put enough? Did I have a spelling error? Did I say something wrong on the phone? Did I do that? Did I do the, uh, the outreach incorrectly? You know, whatever it is. Right. So I'll tell you, we could talk about all the stuff of perfectionism, but I think it's a little bit easier to talk about the opposite so when you know that space that you're really good at, it's really easy 
to identify the stuff that you're not good at and be able to say, yeah, of course I'm not good at that. It's because I'm really good at this one select set of things. And if I was, wasn't good at this select thing, set of things, then of course I'd be good at all the other stuff that maybe you complain about. So I'll give you an example. This is kind of a really easy example that I think most people can understand. Let's say you were a, a long-distance runner. This is an example I use all the time. So if I'm really good at long-distance running, of course it makes sense I'm not going to be good at sprints. People understand that naturally. So if I went up to a long-distance runner, I said, you have to sprint really hard, and you're like, and you got to win this race. If I felt like a perfectionist, I feel like I'd have to be good at sprinting and also long-distance running. But if I understood that my nature and my makeup or even by my own choosing, I choose to perfect the craft of long distance running, it's very easy for me to look at the other person and say, no, of course I'm not going to be good at long distance running or I mean short distance or sprinting. And it's okay. ridiculous of, of, for you to ask me to be that because if I do that, then I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna suck at long distance running. And that's what I specialize at. Right. Right. Yeah, that's interesting because we, we've talked about this, um, you know, for the last few years about um, just, and, and I mean, I'm going to bring this way down to the simplicity of putting a flyer together okay? yeah. <laughs> in our industry, putting a flyer together, some type of flyer and, and struggling with it and taking, you know, two weeks to do it. Uh, trying to make it perfect, then seeing someone else's flyer and taking their idea and trying to implement it into our idea, but never gets accomplished because mm-hmm. that is not our specialty. That's not what we're excellent at doing. Instead, we could have devoted that time and the energy and even the money, the loss of money, to doing something that we are excellent at doing, which in most cases for loan officers is hobnobbing with people. It's create, you know, talking up and networking and meeting with clients. Those are, those are the things that, that most loan officers are really, really good at, and they're not so good at the, um, the minutia of putting, you know, these types of a flyer together or maybe even, uh, you know, gathering documents from, from a client and reviewing pay stubs and, and whatnot. Exactly. Uh, and, yet, and yet we just focus that time there and say, I'm going to get this right. But so when, when is the time or how, what are some ways that we can identify when we're in that, you know, we're so ingrained in it that we can say, whoa, 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 hold on. This is exactly what I don't want to be doing. This is a perfect example of me trying to be a perfectionist when I just need to give it up, let someone else do it and go out and do that. So how can we identify that? How can we well, it's, it's see pretty easy. someone else's eyes? It's pretty easy. I mean, Jen, Jen, how many things inside your business you look at and you just like, I freaking hate doing this. Yeah, a gazillion, a gazillion of them. Yeah, yeah. All right, and I, I able to identify things which you're like, if I could just do this one thing over and over again, that would make my day perfect. Yep, and that's yep. exactly what we've talked about here. But I think a lot of people get so inside out, okay, trying to do it that they, they uh, lose sight of what they're really, really good at. So, yes. you know, sometimes it's good because, you, you know, as a leader on my team, for example, I can see that in my team members. So I can pull that out and say, you know what, 
this is not your specialty, so I'm not going to have you do that. I'm going to have you do something else. I'm going to have Sarah over here do something different, you know, do that instead. So it's great when you have an outside looking in, but what happens when you're inside out with yourself? Um, there's, I think I, I know what you're asking. is like, how can I identify it inside myself if I don't have somebody, like, looking in and, like, um, identifying things? The first yeah, one is it's just what I – yeah, the first one is just uh, you just kind of feel like where you're struggling and, you're, and you keep on – there's tasks that you're avoiding, um, okay. and it's not necessarily like some external pressure. You just don't like doing it. Um, it you know, if, if I'm sitting and talking to somebody, I can identify it in about like two minutes asking a couple of questions. But that's usually what it comes down right. to, just like you're avoiding it, you know you're supposed to do it, and, and you're not excited about um, necessarily doing it. Um, that's usually the first clue. So when I'm working with clients, a lot of times I just say like, okay, here's that thing that you're avoiding. You know, how can you get somebody else to do it? And this is usually the first objection somebody says, but I can't let somebody else do it. I have to be the one to to do it, right? If I, you know, here's the stupidest excuse that I've ever heard. If I can't do it myself, I'm not going to ask somebody else to do it. Worst excuse I've ever heard my entire life. Because that's sort of like saying, um, if I'm not going to be a brain surgeon, I wouldn't let somebody else be a brain surgeon. It's, I mean, it sounds like extreme, but it's the exact same logic. I mean, yeah. why not let somebody else who's really good at flyers do flyers? Sure, it may seem like an easy skill to do, and you could learn it fairly fast, but if you don't like it and it doesn't bring you energy and it takes you two hours to do it when somebody else does it in 30 minutes, why do you want to try to do that? And again, it just comes back to this fear of expectations of, of wondering if somebody looks at us and they don't, and we think that if, if, they, if, if they don't see us doing every little thing, they're going to degrade us or they're going to see, they're going to view us lesser in their own eyes and mind. And that's almost always a perception that we put upon ourselves. Now, I'm going to give you the one exception to this. It's the only person that really comes back to that. It's somebody else that's dealing with perfectionism. And then it's really just a mirror that they're pushing onto you. And it really has nothing to do with you as it does them. What most people really care about is the outcome. They don't care how you do it. They just want the outcome. So I'll give you an example of my own life, of my own business. Um, I... I do a lot of hiring for people. So people come to me, they say, uh, I'm not very good for hiring. And I will, or they say, I'm not very good at this area of business. Now I know that I'm, I'm, oh, I'm pretty good at hiring. I wouldn't say I'm the best, but I'm definitely, I'd say I'm about like 80% of like some of the best hires. And this is all I do. I just go find the person and I hire that out and I get the work done. And sometimes I don't even tell them. I just say, I'm going to take care of the problem and I'm just going to give you an end result. And I just go, here's the end result. And they don't ask me, how did you do it? Or like, tell me all the steps and what you did to get this done. I just go, here you go. This is the end result. And that's all they care about. So for us, and really for mortgage lenders, when I say us, it's just looking at how can I get the best result as fast and quickly as possible with the least stress to my life? And if you take that perception and you ask yourself those questions, then you can usually start 
figuring out the answers for themselves. Um, I know I might go in a little bit off pocket, but this is a, okay. a tool that I give a lot of people is when we come up, um, uh, I know where I'm going to go with this. So perfectionism often leads to procrastination. Mm-hmm. And yes. Right? So it's like, I, I, I don't know what to do. It's like, and, and I'm worried I'm delaying taking action. So yeah. here's how you solve procrastination is that it's really a question of, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Or I don't think it's worth my time. So if you find yourself procrastinating over some kind of task, just stop and go, which of these does it fall into? Is it, I don't know what to do. And if that's the case, it's actually really easy. We're in such a wonderful age. You can go to Google. You can go to an expert. You can have somebody else. What are the steps I need to do? And you can get that knowledge and you know what to do. Now the next one is I don't know how to do it. So like you might be like, I have to make a flyer. So that's what to do. But I don't know how to make a flyer. Well, um, if I look at that case and I say, do I really need to know how to make a flyer? Is there some reason why I need to know it? Is it absolutely important for me to know how to make a flyer? In the case for lenders, no, it's not, right? It's not some regulatory issue. It's not like they're going to pull your license if you don't know how to make a flyer. There's no actual reason. So that's something we can learn to outsource right away. Now, here's the most important one. I don't think it's worth my time. And this is where most people get stuck in procrastination and then also perfectionism is they realize that it's really not worth their time, but they feel still compelled to do it. And that's where they get stuck because they know that if I begin to go down that, it's going to waste time. It's going to, um, uh, you know, it's like, it's not thing I really want to learn how to do. I feel forced to do it. And it's just outside my needed skill set. So if you're able to break those, break it down into one of those three things, that's immensely powerful because you're able to do the next step. Then you have to ask yourself a next important question, which is, how do I overcome this? How do I learn it? How do I, or what do I need to do to find the right information? Or the next question is, can I find a way to make this important for me? Because what we usually think is the negative, like, oh, my gosh, this is so important to me. Or we think of the negative rather than thinking of a solution-based mindset. And every single time I take somebody through this exercise, and I go, let's just think about how we can solve the problem rather than we seeing the problem. Boom. Solutions start coming out. Somebody goes like, well, I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. And even if it doesn't feel right, you still know it's an option. Feelings are kind of weird. And I said, well, great. Can you take an action on that, that step? Could you actually do that even if it doesn't feel quite right? They say yes. And I say, well, then just do it. So that's a step on how we can get out of perfectionism and also procrastination. I know I went a little bit off topic, but I hope that answers the question. No, 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 that's okay. No, that's okay, and I love listening to you. That's why I was being quiet. I was allowing you to do that. I was internalizing everything. It's real, it reminds me of the hedgehog theory, you know, of do what you love to do, do what you're really good at, and do what makes economic sense for your business. And so it's the same, you know, sense of this, of, of worth my time. That's still the same money. And it's something that I, I sort of preach to everybody. Uh, you know, that I work with and that I coach with and even on this podcast that we've done is, you know, 
doing what you're really good at. And, and uh, you know, so I love the, the twist on it. I love hearing it from other people, and I think it's important for those that are listening to hear it from somebody other than me, um, you know, talking about the same type of um, approach to this. So I really appreciate that. I know one of the things that, um, that you have talked about um, in the past is also uh, to a couple of examples of perfectionism. Um, one is delaying on execution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that people delay on the execution, which is really gets into what you just talked about. But the other is about idea bouncing. And we talked about this in the pre-recording as well is um, the, uh, and it is related to perfectionism. You know, you're ready to go. You've got a presentation. You have a flyer, what, whatever the case may be. You've got your script. And then you run out into the real world and you see someone else's flyer who's better. Their presentation has a cool this, that, and the other on it. Um, you... Uh, you know, hear someone else identify or overcome an objection differently than you have, and you scramble right back into your office and say, now apparently I'm not perfect, I've got to fix this and take on all of these other people's ideas to make myself even better so that I can go out there and be competitive. Yeah. So can you, yeah, talk a little bit more about the idea about, I call it the bumblebee syndrome, as we talked about, or the shiny object syndrome, you know, just from idea to idea to idea, and nothing gets implemented, nothing gets any traction, um, right? And it all stems back at perfectionism. Yes, yeah, it does. Um, that's uh, there's so many different ways on that one. Um, I'm gonna can yeah. I? Will you allow me to go like two different paths on this? Because uh, yeah, for absolutely. way that you just the way you described it to me is there's actually it's almost two different things. Um, so for me, like uh, um, I call it shiny, but, uh, shiny button syndrome or like bouncing from like one total different idea to the next one. Typically this works a lot with the people that I work with because they are, are wanting to create their own business and they jump from one thing that might make them money to another thing that makes them money. And um, that usually has to do with, again, procrastination. So there's something they're executing on and they jump and they butt like there's a wall that they just, it doesn't look instantly easy to them or it doesn't seem like it's going to work. And so what they do is instead of pushing forward, they jump to like some kind of magical, they think they're jumping to some kind of magical solution that's going to solve their problems. And so we're going to go really deep on this one. That has a lot to do with understanding what your mission is in life and also your vision. Because when you know your mission and vision, it keeps you from bouncing from idea to idea. Because you realize that there are some things that are gonna work and some things that don't. And you're so more concerned about meeting your mission and vision than you looking like an idiot. And that's what it really comes down to. The reason you bounce from one thing to the next is you're afraid that whatever you're about to do is going to fail so you jump to something else that magically looks like it's going to solve all your problems, and it doesn't. And then you jump to the next thing, then you jump to the next thing. So, you know, everybody that's listening, you know, take a deep breath to this. And this is, the, this is the deeper magic. Is it whatever you're doing in life, there has to be something bigger than you. Now, even narcissists in some ways kind of get this, is that they may seem like it's about them, but if you really ask them, it's not about them. It's like they got some kind of idea, but thinly wrapped, wrapped around about who they are. And that's why they're able to like keep pushing forward and keep pushing forward. So the rest of us, we have to look at why am I in business? 
Yeah. Yeah, it's to make money. But what's the real reason? Is it to make my family better? Is it to get me to another state of life that I want? Is it that I'm tired of living in a a small double wide trailer and actually crave to live in a, like a real home and a permanent um, uh, residence so I can feel safe. And I want to be able to invite friends around and feel like I've got home or family. Um, and so whatever that ultimate goal is, we have to keep our, our vision and mind on that. And then when things come up in us and we feel like I got to jump to the next thing, and you look at the procrastination questions that I gave you. So is it something I don't know? Is it something that uh, I don't know what it is or don't know how to do it? Or is it I don't think it's worthwhile? And you look through all of those and you're able to make a plan. That's where real resistance come up. And um, uh, was it, uh, uh, oh, I forgot who was it, Pressman, Stephen Pressman, wrote the, the Art of War, The War of Art. And he, and he talks about this idea of resistance. And in this case, the only way to get past resistance is you have to have a higher calling. Now, everybody's got one inside of them. So you have to tap into what that is. And so as soon as you reach that, you have to be able to go, all right, I'm actually going to push through this moment because there's something bigger than me. My, my family, it might be my dreams, and I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Now, for everybody who's a perfectionist, they think, oh, my gosh, that's so scary. What's going to happen? Well, everybody that goes ahead and just execute, what you find out is maybe you didn't do it perfectly, but you get more knowledge. And this is an important thing. Is that once you get more knowledge, you know how to take the next step better. And that's what you really want. Is when you're when you're jumping from idea to idea, what you're looking for is that true internal knowledge of how do I know what to do for the right next step. And the and the only way you can get that is by pushing through the part of like maybe putting out bad flyers and even, and I keep coming back to flyers idea because that's the one we started off with, and then you get some feedback. Maybe some things work or you don't. Now, can I go really, really, really deep? This is, this is the that's truly magical up. part. Okay, so here's the, the, the super magical part is that people think I am nothing at this part. I am nothing. Like, I feel terrible. It's like I am in the lowest place. I know nothing, and I'm so afraid that because I know nothing, I'm going to fail. Now, if you can kind of get this mindset in you, that is a wonderful position to be in. Because if you're nothing, who cares what people think about you? So go ahead and do anything. Which is contradictory to what you're actually thinking. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so silly. Just it's almost go, silly. It's just silly. If you really believe you're nothing, then why do you care? What everybody why thinks. do I care? I'm no, everybody thinks I'm nothing. So I just do it, and I'm going to get some results. And you're going to get some results. You're going to get some feedback. You're going to know what to do to improve it. And then sure enough, you're going to get those leads that come in. And here's the amazing part. Once you realize that you're kind of nothing, you become everything. Yeah, the nothing to everything, you know. Um, I love it. I love it. And I, it, I was expecting you to go, really, really deep on that. But it is, it's a deep concept, but it's a very simple concept, yes. you know, to help people. And I, I think, you know, everything that you're talking about, I'm, you know, different words are popping up into my mind, uh, you know, limiting beliefs are limiting, limiting beliefs, um, working from a place of abundance versus scarcity. Uh, you know, yes. everything that we're talking about on the perfectionism, perfectionism side is scarcity. Um, it's not being curious. It's uh, retracting. It's, uh, 
you know, they're better than me. The co- you're so afraid of the competition, you won't even talk to them in a networking event because that's scarcity. All that's a scarcity where abundance is um, giving, obviously, but again, that curiosity, helping other people, um, being interested in other people, and there's power in doing that versus being, being the, um, the person who sort of ha- has their tail between their legs like a hyena. That is not, uh, and that is what perfectionism is. is I'm, as I'm visualizing it here, I'm saying, you know, to be perfect and, and to be playing in that game of perfectionism and procrastination, I'm really just being a hyena with my tail between my legs and I'm afraid to go out when I know that if I go out and I can be a proud lion walking around, I'm going to feel so much better about myself and I'm going to attract people. People are going to want to be around me rather than uh, me saying I have to pull them toward me. uh, Yeah, come on, please come with me using my, my tools, my flyers, what my, my words, my presentations or whatnot. Actually, people will be drawn to you just because of the confidence that you exude without even saying a word. Yeah. You know, without yeah. <laughs> just saying a word. And I love your concept, it, your discussion about mission and life and vision. That is something I've talked about and I, and I think through quite frequently. Um, I just shared with you, you know, pre-recording the story about uh, my uncles calling me Jenny who ain't got a penny. Um, and, you know, I talk about this all the time is that I use, I walk on the pennies that I earn in this business. It's not about, a, it's not about closing a loan or five loans or, or ten loans and helping those families in any given month. It's about what that, that closing will do to help me accomplish my vision, my, my long-term, you know, I'm on the, on the ship and I see that island ahead of me. It's the water that will get me to that island. And, yes. um and I think that that alone is a mindset of not being, um, I was going to use the word subservient, that's not the word, but, but uh, being so self-centered that you just need a loan. It's not about needing a loan. It's about helping the families and getting a loan so that you can get to your life goal and your life vision. Yes, 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 yes. Um... So as you were talking, I think I thought about the <laughs> question, a which is, there for you. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking about like, well, so how do we help somebody feel proud like a lion? You know, it's like, it's a great concept. What if you feel like the hyena? And it's like, I understand the concept of like, how do I know like really my domain, right? So the nice thing about being a lion or any alpha animal is they have a domain. And once they get outside of that domain, they feel very uncomfortable because it's not who they are, you know, it's like they know this is bigger than their own territory. So how do we discover what our territory is so we can, you know, like conf- correctly, confidently strut in our area? So I've got, um, I've got some wonderful things to give you. So the first one, which is I think the most magical one, uh, and it's, it's really the simplest, is go back to three people. So let's just use mortgage lending. But you can use this for anything. But let's see, let's go back to three customers you know you served really well. Three customers that 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 just had a, a tremendous experience, and you know, like gosh, if I feel like I could have that same per, same person over and over again, just simply ask them. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it that I was able to do to make this experience really uh, grateful? You know, uh, tremendous for you. I know that you're thankful, but can you tell me specifically what I did? And here's the magical part, and how I did it. And they will tell you the answers what, of what you, how. yeah, it's the how. So it might be like you kept, you, you made it happen very fast, 
right? You got the loan through very fast. Now, there's a bit of checking on here, sort of like, as long as it wasn't stressful for you. Or like, gosh, I really enjoyed doing that. Okay, great, yes. Um, uh, I just like the way that you checked in all the time because I had these other worries and these concerns. So when somebody tells you the answer, you have to follow it up and say, why was that important to you? So when you start asking those questions, you're going to start understanding what, what your niche is really needing. And this is where it yeah. starts changing your marketing. Because if you ask those questions, then you can put on the, the flyers, like, uh, let's say, like, a follow-up. Uh, like, the follow-up was really, I'm just kind of making up in a, in a, in a, 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 what could be true. So, let's say you had a family, and they're moving, um, and they got some kids, and they really appreciated the follow-up. Because the fo- they're saying, I was so busy going from one kid's thing to the next, that I didn't know if I had time to check back and I knew it was important, but you followed up on all those important things and that gave me time to hang out with my children. Right? Mm-hmm. So that was really important to yeah. this family. So what you put on the flyers is I'll make this process as easy as possible and I'll check in with you so that you, the headaches of getting a mortgage won't take away from your family time. So you start putting that into yeah. your marketing, then all of a sudden you're going to start attracting the right people to you because somebody's going to pick up that firing and says like, oh, I'm already worried and stressed about how this is going to take away from my family time. You're meeting a bigger need for what I need. And of course I want to come work with you. Mm -hmm. Yep, very powerful because I think what happens is we think, you know, and I think this is across all businesses is like, you know, what is my value proposition? Okay. And we're trying to identify the value proposition by looking internally to what we think we want to provide. And this goes along the lines with your systems that you talked about, that you're going to talk about here in just a second, um, about your system and saying, you know, I'm going to put together a system that does, uh, you know, four or five different specific things that I think would be great for my clients, rather than asking your clients what they, and, and looking at your surveys, if you do surveys, I do surveys all we do, our company does surveys all the time. We have a chief experience officer who works for our company, a CXO, and he works on that diligently. That's his full-time job, to reach out to clients and figure out what, what we did is so powerful, you know, to, to uh, making the experience really good. And yes. it's the feedback, and it's the words that your clients use that you now have to um, incorporate into your system, your, you know, your process, your, that system, as well as your branding. Right. And so I think that's extremely powerful. It's like stop beating your head against the wall and trying to figure out what you think they want. Go ask them what they loved that you gave them and use that and amplify it and scale it up so that it becomes yours. It's yours. It's not the next guy that said, hey, he's got this really cool verbiage on his flyer or on his something. It's not his. That, that's how he serves his client or how he mm-hmm. perceives he needs to serve his client. Get yours out there exactly how your clients think about you and, and uh, view you, you know, how the world sees you. That's exactly correct. Yeah. Okay, what's number two? What's another thing that we can do to... We've come up with a whole new concept here, strut in our domain as a lion. Yeah, so, so that's the first thing. It's understand, like, um, 
is under, go back to your, go back to the people that you serve well, and then they'll tell you. The other thing is uh, just two um, two assessments that I love taking. So you do DISC, so that's a great one. Just uh-huh. understanding your personality. Yeah. Uh, Myers Briggs is one that I use, but I think that one really works well if you have somebody else help you work through that. Um, but also Strengths Finder. So Strengths Finder is um, put out by the Gallup organization, and it's. Um, it's a book by Tom Rath. And if you go take that, it's going to tell you what your five top, um, well, it's called talents. It's really not your strengths because a strength is a talent plus experience and knowledge. You put those together and you get a strength. But the important thing about a talent is that in a natural way that you think or act. And according to the Gallup organization, you do about 80% of your mental work inside of these five things. And anything outside of that is like, it's like inefficient. You're having to burn a lot more energy to be able to do those things. So if you understand what your um, uh, your talents are and then how you're able to create strengths around them based on your own talent, then you just start working more in those. So that leads into quell of what's my system. So there's, well, it depends on what day you talk to me. There's either six steps or there's four steps. Uh, so what, okay. let's say there's steps, but there's four phases that people really have to go through in order for you to become a premium product. Now, um, let's actually go to the opposite end, which is most people think, well, if I need to get some more business, I have to do some marketing, right? That's what most people think. I got to go out and market. I got to go out and market. I got to go out and market. And the reason I'm not getting any business is because I'm not marketing correctly. And I'm going to tell you that's Actually, the last thing that you do is the marketing. And if you don't do the four or the three other phases first, marketing is very efficient, inefficient, it's costly, and it is emotionally detrimental because all you're going to see is money going out and nothing coming in. You're going to get really frustrated. Make sense? I think everybody's yeah. been there. Uh-huh. Okay, so the first phase is you got to get out of being in the middle. So in the middle is... Uh, um, so mortgage lenders are very much like their own entrepreneurial, even though you're not an entrepreneurial, you know, like in the sense of like pay stub, but you're an entrepreneur in the sense of you're trying to do your own thing and you're trying to make a living for yourself and you're trying to get these commissions. So it's like owning your own business. So what happened is that there's some pain in life that has pushed you out of whatever traditional job that you're in into doing this thing where you're beginning to feel like you've got control of your own life. And then there's this, perceived pain on the other end of there's a reasons why you're not taking all the action that you're supposed to be doing. You're afraid something's going to happen. You're, uh, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be too much work. There's a psychological reason that seems painful for you not taking all that extra work that you're supposed to be doing. And the reason that that other thing is there is because you're working outside of your strengths and your talents. So it's super important to understand what are the natural ways that I think and I act. And that goes back to the thing we're talking about, just go ask people what you're really good at. And then then I'll show you. And that allows you to begin to optimize who you are. So that's stage two. So get out of being stuck in the middle. The next thing is to start optimizing. So now that I understand what I'm naturally good at, what can I do to increase that? What can I do to only work in that area and then start outsourcing everything else? And that's what we talked about, hiring the right people. And so like if somebody, if I, again, going back to the analogy we started with, it's like, uh, I'm not very good at, uh, at doing flyers. I need to let go of that. Let somebody else do the flyer. 
here's the interesting thing. Most people say, but I don't have time or money to do that. I promise you that it's actually the opposite. You don't have time and money to be doing that because it's not allowing you to work in the most efficient way that's possible. Now, if, if you give that part of your day up, because like, uh, again, think of it this logically. Like, let's say it takes you three hours to make a flyer, but if you were to outsource it and it takes somebody else an hour, that actually gives you three more hours to do the stuff that, you're actually, that only you can do, even though it seems yeah, like a cost. you can do at $150 an hour versus paying someone to do, do it for $10 an hour. Right. Now, you may think so of it are getting... Talking, yeah, so Go ahead. 450, well, we're talking, you have the opportunity to make $450, right? One, two, three, $450 for three hours of time versus paying somebody $10. So your net income on that is $340. Right. Four, and most people can't, uh, $440, yeah. So most people can't get past that until they understand what they're yeah. good at, what they're good at not, and not good at. Because then that soon allows people to like, oh, okay, great, you know, I'm not supposed to outsource that. So that's phase two. Phase three is actually becoming a premium product. And that's when you learn to change your verbiage. You learn to position yourself in the right way where you look like the only solution for some people. Very important. You are the only solution for some people. And that's how you change yourself from being a commodity to a premium product. Commodities think they're the solution for all people. And as and even for mortgage brokers, you got to look at there's a very select market that only I am qualified for. And you have to learn to qualify them and say, no, I'm not going to work with you. No, you're not my right audience. Yes, you are the right audience. And even if someone comes up to you and says, no, but I really want to work with you, you have to look at them and say, you know what, as much as you may work with me, I don't think we're going to work, we are going to work well together because there's a certain way I want to do things that I work really good at, and you actually want me to do something else. So even if you like the result, the process that I go through is going to be detrimental to both of us. And we're both going to get frustrated in the end. So it's not that I, I don't want to help you. It's just that I actually think I'm doing a better service by not working with you. And as soon as you take on that mindset, amazing things start happening. Because people will start going so like, some, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you're attracted to No, they're attracted to you. I mean, this is where you're not trying to draw them in but they are naturally attracted to you because yes. they know that you have that specific see and again this this comes back to the scarcity issue you know uh, and I know because someone's listening in because I've been there okay they the, and they're listening into this and they're saying what niche myself oh my gosh if I niche myself I'm gonna lose so much money because I'm, yeah, I'm gonna market myself out of everybody nobody's gonna want me yes Nobody's going to want me. Nobody's going to want me. And it's really the difference between being on demand and in demand. And I've talked about this on a previous podcast. You know, this on demand stuff, I'll give you a good example. We were just talking about this yesterday with, with uh, somebody I was interviewing for, for a loan officer job. And he said, you know, I, I said, what are your strengths? What do you think you're really good at? He goes, oh, being available all weekend for a realtor to write a pre-approval letter. And I was like, you got, and, and, and I, I didn't say it this way, but I thought, you got to be kidding me because I don't do that. Okay, some people do, and, and some people yeah. feel that that's huge value to be available to write the letters, you know, on the weekends and, and be your, you know, I'm not going to be your beck and call girl. I'm just not. I have a family, and that yeah. has taken me from being on demand to being in demand. In, I have yeah. clients that will wait for three weeks to meet with me because I'm busy, okay, instead yep. of 
I'm dropping everything. I'm not going to my little girl's ballet, ballet event because this client wants to meet with me, right? And so you have to draw a line in the sand that says, this is, this is how I'm going to operate. And you know what? I got to say another thing, too, and I, I'm sure you would agree with this. It's not just me and my client or my realtor partner, whoever it is. It's also my team. If my team sees me bringing in a realtor who's chaos and wants us to jump through hoops, you know, and fire blindfolded for them every time, then I lose credibility with my team. Because Absolutely. Because why, why is she doing, why is she working with this person? Every time this person does, they, they up, upheaval everything in our process. So they can't, these, this referral partner, this realtor who does that, can't be part of my world. They just can't. Right. And That's exactly right. And you have to know when to say it can't happen. Yes. And, that's and again, people are fearful if they get into the, the scarcity mindset that if I, that might be my, that might be my lunch tomorrow if I, if I reject yeah. them. And uh, it's, you know, I've been there. I think we've all been there that as soon as you learn to say no to the wrong people, it, it, it magically does really open the door to say yes to all the right people. So you asked me at the very beginning why, well, you kind of hinted at it. You said like, I only work with men. So there is a bit of, it's a, it's a bit of both a marketing positioning and then also it's, it's what I'm naturally good at. So the reason what I tell people is that there is something weird about, I'm maybe a little bit old fashioned is I do think that men and women really are different. And there are some things that drive us, particularly in the way that we do work that are different. And this is just my experience. And I've tried to say as, objective as possible and I've even tried to go the other way but men really do find much more of their identity in the work that they do and my personal experience is that while women can do the exact same work just as wonderful and powerfully what you find out is they do it a little bit more for community or for their family or for something else along that lines Mm -hmm. but for men it's much more about who I am and so that's how I have focused my coaching is I talk specifically to men about that. And I say, here's what's really important about us as men, about finding our identity inside the work. How do we do it correctly? How are ways that we do it incorrectly? Now, now this, the only reason I'm telling you this is that because I've niched myself down to that and I've talked very specifically about men, I understand the way that women also see things. And you'd be surprised at how many women come up to me and say, I still want to work with you because you've talked about <laughs> yeah. it works for men. That means you also understand the way that works for me, but and I'm still compelled to work with you. Right. And so for many times I say, no, 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 really for men. But if somebody really pushes really hard and they say like, here's what I'm willing to do. I say, okay, I want to work with you because now you're really on board with the whole big picture of my mission and vision. So it gets back to the point of mission and vision. I will not work with anybody that doesn't want to work with me on my mission and vision and will further, really further me along with that. Because anything that takes me off that path is actually a detriment to the rest of my clients. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about that in our industry as well is, uh, you know, if you have A plus real estate agents or referral partners and they're giving you the, the lion's share of business, um, and rather than developing a richer relationship with them, it's going, again, this gets back to 100 pennies, the feeling that I've got to have 100 pennies. I've got to have 100 people that I'm working with. That's the only way I can make money 
rather than saying, let me just find four quarters and develop richer relationships with these four quarters. Um, because as I start getting to my 70 and 80th penny person, my four quarters are going, uh, excuse me, I've been here, I've been loyal, we have a relationship, and you're, you're willing to, I mean, I'm not getting a response from you because you're taking care of penny number 77, who's just a fly-by-night part-time realtor who will never yeah. give you business again. And, you know, again, this is scarcity. This is a scarcity uh, outlook, and it drives me crazy. I got something else for you. Uh, who do pennies hang out with? Nickels. Or, or other pennies. <laughs> right. Or other who pennies. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. They hang out with more quarters, right? So if I want references, if I want referrals. Yeah. Do, I want, do I want referrals to pennies or do I want referrals to quarters and dollars? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And trying to find those. And less is more. I mean, you're going to have a better quality of life anyway because you're not running from pillar to post. You're not stressed out. You're not doing the uh, bumblebee syndrome, the shiny button syndrome. You're not doing that because you, you know that we, what's in your pocket is working. Yes, that's exactly right. Right. Um, so the, I love uh, – there's so many things that are popping off inside my mind. I've just like uh, – I, I love the conversation, which is um, – I think a lot of people think like, well, I can't get around more quarters. Like we're using the whole quarter analogy. Well, that's exactly the reason why there's so many quarters is because most people don't think they can get around the quarters. Let yeah. me tell you, there are so many quarters out there that there's not enough to go around. I mean, there's, there's too many to go around. I should say the exact opposite. Yeah. And yeah. once you make that shift inside of your mind and you're willing to, in a sense, work only for the right type of client, the one that really matches you. The, the people who are very generous with their time and their money, uh, and so we'll call those the quarters and the dollars, they're well connected to the other people. They're exactly the same. And business becomes a whole lot easier because you just yeah. get referred to them over and over again. So you went to my website, right? And it's pretty sparse. Yeah. Well, the reason that it's sparse is because I don't really need a website, right? I get referrals coming all the time. I do... I do some podcasts like this. I do some speakings and I do everything else. And I've created a lifestyle where I'm not hustling really hard. You know, I've got other things that are going on. People come to me and that's the way that I've designed it on purpose. So if I was in a, in a tough spot, um, I would go ahead and I know how to do all the marketing. That's what I teach other people. But there's a reason why that my website is kind of poopy. <laughs> yeah. I love your words because I always use these, these small, simple words to explain things. But, but, yeah, again, this gets back to on-demand and in-demand, you know, and, uh, you know, the importance of And what you mentioned before is how the strategy take you from a commodity to a premium, right? Yes. And the only, way, the only way to do that is to identify the types of quarters that you want to work with. It doesn't have to, by the way. When, we are, when I'm talking about pennies versus quarters, I'm not talking about little, you know, realtors who do very little business versus realtors who do a ton. I'm talking about the niche, perhaps, in my product as well. Uh, for example, my average loan amount is 647, 647,000. So, and that's by design. So where do those people hang out? You know, I quit a B&I because that was a whole bunch of, you know, Mary Kay consultants and plumbers and things like that. I quit a B&I and went to a business uh, club, a business club, 
where the higher up echelon hangs out. I joined a yacht club because I'm a boater. I joined a yacht club. I don't yacht because I don't have a yacht and I don't have a sailboat, but I, I go to that club because that's where they hang out. So whatever your quarter is, however you identify, you know, the people that you want to work with, you need to go where they are. Yes, and that's the exactly only right. place you go, by the way. You don't go, you don't go to the other places where the pennies are. You only go where you're going, you're going to find what you're looking for. Yes, that's, ex- that's exactly right. So, um, yeah. can I, can I tell you, I don't know how much time I, have. I would love to tell you a fun story about how fast this can happen for somebody. I want you to make yeah. this change. Um, so tonight I was actually at a client's house tonight and, uh, let's, should we preface let's and just, let everybody know that we're talking, you're in Vietnam right now while we're talking. Yeah, I'm in Vietnam. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Cause we're not having a late night podcast. That's for sure. For me. <laughs> we are. Yeah. So, uh, so tonight I went to a, I went to a client's house and, um, let me tell you what happens when you, when you're willing to take a mind shift change and business comes a lot easier. So what, I went over to my client's house, which is a, a little bit rare, but I went over there and we literally sat around. We talked about his business over glasses of wine. That was it. And he, he makes right around a, a million to $2 million a year. And so we talked about his business. We joked, we had a lot of fun. And then he goes, Oh, by the way, I invited my friend over today and we're just going to talk some more business. And then, so again, we just started chatting, had some wine and this guy's like, well, you know what? I'm going to contact you tomorrow. And I'm pretty sure that this guy is going to sign up. This is what happens when you get to the higher level is that when you're willing to let go of things, you're willing to knit yourself down, a lot of doors are open up to you and business becomes a lot easier. If you asked me this seven years ago, I would have said, there's no way that this would have ever been possible. Like who am I to be able to get to this position? But once you understand exactly how to knit yourself down, understand the problems that your individual niche has. And by the way, millionaires and people make a lot more money they have a whole lot more problems than you may realize. So it's actually easier to reach out to them because they got yeah, heck of a lot more things that they too. had to deal with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's, a, it's an accumulation issue. You know, um, it, it not, not so, well, it can be. Of money, now what do I do with all this? They need advice, not price. It's an accumulation yes. of properties, you know, in, in yes. investing both, you know, and you mentioned your real estate investor and I'm, I'm an avid, avid real estate investor. Every property I I buy comes with problems, more, more things that I have to deal with. And uh, so it's an accumulation issue as you start growing up that, you know, going up that ladder of success. And um, so they need more advice than, and it, the price is not the problem. You know, they, they just don't, you know, um, so that's, that's pretty interesting too. Well, listen, Christopher, it's been fantastic talking to you. I hope everyone loved this talk. You know, I did. Um, and I cannot wait to start uh, executing because that's what I like to do. <laughs> I cannot wait to start executing um, the process of let's do marketing last. I've never heard that before, so I love that. Um, you know, identifying exactly who my niche is. Um, and, you know, for those of you that listen on this podcast, you know I do a lot of things. I mean, I've been an open book about everything that I do. Um, but this is pretty interesting because I have a niche. Uh, but it's a little too wide right now. I want to, I think I want to narrow it down even more. You know, I'm, I'm 34 years into lending. I'm 53 years old. Um, it needs to be compressed even more. And so I thank you, Christopher, for enlightening me to 
know to take that kind of action to improve my life. Oh, it's been a complete honor. Thank my you for having will come with it. Well, my business will come there, but, you know, it's my life. That's what I'm, I'm looking to do is have that life of quality um, versus the quality of life, right? And uh, so now is there anything that you would like to um, share with our, with our um, listeners as to where they can find you? Where, where can they uh, get more information about what you do and where you're going to be and all of that? Yeah, let's. Let's do a couple things. You can find me, obviously, at uh, there's a couple email addresses. You can do coach at ChristopherBrowning.com or coach at, I think it's, a, I'm sorry, it's Christopher at Smart Rapid Growth. But I'm going to do something a little bit special. Um, I'm going to actually make an individual quiz, and I'm going to make it so that it is lender-specific on where you might be in, in the four phases, so I talked about. And um, so if you go to Smart Rapid Growth, Slash, uh, let's do. Um, okay, I'm making this up on the mastery. fly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mortgage lending mastery. One, okay. everything together, no spaces. Mortgage lending mastery. Um, there'll be a quiz there, and I'll tell you which of the four stages you're in, and then I'll give you uh, a modified PDF on like what you need to work on inside of, you, of who you are or inside your business, so that you can become Aww. a premium product. Well, thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for doing something very special like that. We really appreciate that. Uh, and I love that we have it at the very end. So for those who decided they weren't going to listen all the way, you didn't win out on this. Too bad. Ah. Too bad. <laughs> That's right. Well, listen, you have a wonderful day. Well, actually, you're going to bed. So you have a wonderful evening. And uh, thank you again for sharing. Uh, it has just been a pleasure to talk with you. And I know that we'll be talking again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.